You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. I'm Pastor Jason. It's a joy to be with you today. I want to, as, as we're in this space, I want to give a shout out to those who will be watching online or those who are watching over in the Outreach Center later today at 11. I want to welcome all those who partake of our time together as we think about Jesus in the present tense, which is the sermon series that we're in today and for the next several weeks. We started that last week as we talked about Jesus was the bread of life. And what's really brought us to this place of this sermon series And it's really evident in this place right now are these new windows that have been put in in place here within the sanctuary, these stained glass windows that speak to us of the seven I am sayings of Jesus that Jesus makes about himself, proclamations Jesus takes on in the Gospel of John where he says, I'm the bread of life. We heard that last week. Today we're going to be looking at, I'm the light of the world. He also says things like, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the tree of life, I'm the way, the truth of the life, I'm the resurrection and the life, and I'm the gate. And all those things Jesus says at some point within the Gospel of John, so we're going to be unpacking those as we move through this sermon series, Jesus in the present tense. Now one of the things that we need to know about Jesus saying, I am, is that those sayings weren't first and foremost things that Jesus just suddenly brought up, but God the Father... God revealed himself through the Old Testament with a number of times coming to people all across the expanse of the Old Testament saying, I am something, I am powerful, I am your healer, I am your leader. God came to all kinds of different people. He came to Abraham, he came to Moses, he came to David. He revealed himself. One of the things that God is passionate about is he's passionate about us knowing who he is. He's passionate about revealing himself to us so that we don't, have to, we don't have to wonder what is God like. God comes to us and he says, this is what I'm like. And so as we move through this sermon series, we get to see bits of pieces of what Jesus says, I am like, so that we might know and wonder. Um, wonder not in the sense of like, wonder like, you know, are we really going to know what God is like? But wonder like when you're, a, when you're a kid, you wonder about what your parents are really like, right? Like you see one side of them or you see one perspective of them. But your parents, and maybe it's as you grow older, you realize that your parents have lots of different realities to them that you never fully see. And even after your parents may be gone, you still wonder about stories about your parents. Because <clears throat> I've been able to, to watch my grandfathers, um, both of my grandfathers are deceased, but still, long after those, their lives here have ended, I still hear stories, new stories about them, and those stories make me wonder about the full expanse of their life. And so we wonder about God, because in some ways, God reveals portions of himself to us, and yet there's so much more than that makes us wonder. So today we're looking at the reality that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And it's the third window up there in that bay of windows. If you start with the red and go back, I'm the light of the world. Three times in the gospel of John, the gospel tells us that Jesus is the light of the world. The first time is not a time when Jesus himself proclaims this about himself. But you'll notice if you're familiar with the gospels that John 1, 1 begins this story 
the gospel writer wants to tell us this full expanse and we call it the prologue because he kind of gives us everything he's going to tell us about Jesus within those first 18 verses. And in the first nine, he really emphasizes this reality that Jesus is the light of the world. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them to John 1. I just want to read those for us here in just a moment. John 1 begins this way. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him. And nothing that was created existed was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light, he was simply the witness to tell about the light. And the one who was the true light who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, when we look at the window that's present there and will be present on the screen and in the other places, the window has that essence about it as if it's almost like the sun. <clears throat> and when we look at the sun, and the, this morning the sun is really radiating through those windows, isn't it? It's a glorious perspective from this side to see you all aglow and all lit up. It is just a marvelous experience on this side of things. But when we look at the sun, and we find it's hard to look at the sun. The sun is the, like this big thing that's up in, in space, and it's hard to look at the sun directly. We know its presence. It's easy to look at things that the sun is, it's easier to look at the things that the sun is landing upon, the light of the sun is landing upon. But we know that we live by the light of the sun. We get up and move around in it. It gives life to plants. It gives life to us. When John is thinking about the opening introduction to us of who Jesus is, he kind of takes up that metaphor of the sun as Jesus is like the light of the world, the light that we live by, the light that we can move around in. But he's doing more than just speaking about the, um, somewhat metaphorically about the sun. He's also, remember, he's, he's living in a world that's been formed at least somewhat by Greek philosophy. And if you're familiar, if you go back into your first philosophy class in college, you may be familiar with Plato's idea that, that many of us, when we think about how we seek out truth or we how we seek to understand the world in which we live in, Plato suggested that there is something that's really real and then there's something that is just like the shadow. And Plato suggested that for most of us, we live by looking at the shadows of what is really real. And the sun is something that's up and outside of a cave. Uh, remember Plato's cave? If, have you familiar? Maybe I'm, I'm out of my league here on that or maybe it's... It's over your head. Well, Plato suggested that, that there was something that was really real, but that we lived in, a, in more of a land of shadows, that we could never really see the true light or see things as they really were, although we aspired to that. We sought, we sought to know what was really real. There were those who would then come along in the Christian church who would say, well, when we get to know Jesus, when we get to know God, he begins to take us up a ladder. Those folks were called Gnostics. And they really suggested that 
the more knowledge you had of God, the closer you would get to seeing what was really real. But what John is telling to us in this reality, when he says the, <clears throat> the word was God and the word became flesh and the light began to dwell with us, wasn't that the light was somewhere that we could never get to. No, in fact, the reality was is that God entered our world. The light of the world took on human form, took on flesh. And we didn't have to just climb some ladder or get more knowledge or get out of the cave somehow, but that the word of God became flesh and God revealed himself to us. Now that revelation is big and bold and huge. And it's hard for us to fully comprehend all of what's been revealed or all of what God is like in reality beyond what he's revealed. But the reality is, John is saying to us, the light is present to us, with us, and can be in us. Whenever that text is read, John 1, that we... So part of my mind, that philosophical sense, takes me back to Plato's reality, Plato's cave. The other place where that text takes me is to Silver Dollar City. <laughs> Those are worlds that are far apart, right? Far apart. But it takes me to Silver Dollar City at Christmas time. And this last year, I got to spend a lot of time at Silver Dollar City because my daughter Erebus had a job there. And so I got to be down there at Christmas a lot. Six and a half million lights at Christmas time at Silver Dollar City. It is just a wonder. And I feel like a little kid every time I walk through Silver Dollar City and all those lights are blazing at nighttime. And there's something that speaks out to me that just grabs a hold of my heart when I'm down there. And it takes me back into the gospel. Because the season where we celebrate Christmas, because we're in the Northern Hemisphere, and how the world is tilted and the sun is shining on the Southern Hemisphere at, at that time, I mean, they have more hours of daylight. That sense of darkness, just the physical reality of darkness, tends to affect my own spirit. And when I walk through Silver Dollar City in those six and a half million lights, I'm just reminded that there are moments in our spirits, there are moments when my heart, where moments in my own mind, I just get somewhat depressed, where my spirit gets depressed. And then I walk through that light and I hear John's text read because it's often a text that's read within the Christmas season. And I'm reminded that there are moments in all of our lives when there are things that don't go our way and there's a darkness that can settle over our spirits. And yet the darkness that can come never outshines the light of Christ. And that there's always hope. There's always hope even if the situation, the circumstances that we're looking at seem to say there's not a good outcome in front of us. There's always hope. And so I rejoice when I read that text and I hear that text read that there's always hope. The light of Christ can never be overcome by the darkness, but the, dark, the light shines in the darkness. It speaks to us. Well, <clears throat> so that's the first time where we meet Jesus as the light of the world. The second time, and it's actually after the main text that we're going to read today, the second time is in John chapter 9. Jesus says this about himself. 
He says, but while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when Jesus says this, he's at a festival, and we're going to get to the full sense of the festival, but he's near the end of the festival of tabernacles, and he encounters somebody who's blind. And one of the things that we also see Jesus doing, along with saying a number of I am's, there are a number of miracles that he does in the Gospel of John. He does seven miracles and those miracles are to be signs of us, of, of who Jesus is. Not, the I am sayings are like, they're things for us to hear and grapple with. And then the signs are things that Jesus does where we have to sit back and wonder and they reveal a bit of his glory, a bit of who he is. And so Jesus comes along to a person who's blind. And he says, would you like to see? And the guy says, of course I'd like to see. And so Jesus scoops down into the, into the dust in the city of Jerusalem and he picks up some dirt and he spits into it and he molds it and he makes some mud and he puts it on the eyes of this blind man. And he says to him, I'm the light of the world. He says, if you want to see, go down to the pool of Siloam, which is down on the, on the eastern edge of the, of the, the old city of Jerusalem. And it's down at the bottom of the mountain. It says, go down and wash off in the pool of Siloam. And so this person, this blind person, gathers some friends around him and they lead him down to the pool of Siloam and he takes the water of the pool and he washes off the mud that Jesus put on his eyes and he can see. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, it's not just a metaphor for this guy who's been blind, right? Right? But he begins to see. And one of the things that John is showing us, he's revealing to us, if we're open to seeing it, if we're open to hearing it, is that when Jesus, the light of the world, comes into the world, he just doesn't come to be like a metaphor. Or he doesn't just come to give us hope, but he comes to touch us at the places where we need the healing and the saving touch of God. The light of the world isn't just a sun that's way up in the sky that gives us light to walk around in. But each and every one of us have a place in our own heart where we need the healing work of God. And Jesus comes and, and he touches us. And oftentimes, he asks us to participate in that healing work by going to some place or by doing some action. He's present to us. He touches us. And yet, sometimes he'll say, go here or go there and do this for the fullness of that healing to be unpacked. And then there's this one other text, a text that you probably are well familiar with. And it's in John 8, where Jesus says, again, I'm the light of the world. And it's at a, <clears throat> at a text that will probably take us by surprise. But it's John 8, 1 through 12. And in this place is a story that gets quoted often, even in the popular press. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to hear this, this story. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again in the temple. A crowd had soon gathered, and they sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. 
what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stopped or stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer as he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then Jesus stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The word of God for the people of God. This text is somewhat surprising to hear Jesus say at the end of that, right? I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll walk in light and life. This text takes place, the story takes place, best as we understand, at the end of a massive festival in Jerusalem, the festival of the tabernacles on the eighth day. That festival would have taken place in what we would consider the fall or at the end of the wheat harvest, actually not at the end of the wheat harvest, but at the end of the grape harvest and the olive harvest. When new wine and new olive oil was beginning to flow through the presses, the harvest was called for as one of, one of God's, uh, or the, the festival was called for as one of God's festivals way back in the story of Deuteronomy. Actually, if you read the Old Testament law, there's a number of times where the festival is called for. It's an eight-day festival where people would live in tents. And in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you can read what the, what the menu was supposed to be like. And it was supposed to be a massive feast. I mean, it was going to be an enormous feast celebrating God's presence, God's deliverance, God's provision as the people of Israel left Egypt, left slavery, and went on their way to the promised land. And for 40 years, they lived in tents. And so for these eight days, it was supposed to be an outdoor festival where people would live in tents. And to celebrate God's presence with them, they would light fires, big fires, in the court of of women, which was up on the Temple Mount, there were these big cauldrons and they would stack tons of, of wood up on these cauldrons and they would light them up. And the city of Jerusalem was not only full of, a, of great smells, of all kinds of sacrifices, of all, all kinds of great food being cooked, but it was full of light. It was a festival of light. But Jesus was there with his disciples and he was preaching and teaching. And his presence in the temple irritated a number of religious leaders. And we get that sense, that story, in the opening of John 8. Jesus is again at the temple, John says. And he's again teaching. And again, people have gathered around him. And there are those who are there who are irritated with Jesus. C.S. Lewis talked about how there's really three different options for us to 
three different perspectives for us to look on Jesus. We can either look on Jesus as a liar, somebody who says all kinds of things, but it doesn't live up to him. We can look on him as a lunatic, somebody who says all kinds of things and is just crazy, or we can look on him as Lord. Well, the people in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus was preaching looked on him as either a liar or a lunatic. They certainly didn't see him as Lord. And they wanted to reveal that he was one of those two things. And so they set up a test. You know the story well, many of you do, where they brought in a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus looks on this whole situation and he sees what other people don't see. He sees their anxiety that they have with him. He sees that they're deceived, that they see him in certain ways and they don't see him as the light of the world, the light or the person who brings life to people. They see him as a threat. And so they look for an opportunity. And Jesus sees all of that that maneuvering that's in the background. And so they bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. And they bring Jesus two options. Two options. But Jesus knows the reality of the situation. Number one, the law says that you can't just bring one party who's a party to adultery. It takes two to commit adultery, right? You can't... One person just can't be charged with adultery. It's two. So Jesus sees right now in this moment that things are gone far awry. The other thing that he sees is that they give him two options. Either to say the law of Moses is the proper way or to say, no, the Romans won't let us do what you suggest Moses says we should do. And so I'm going to follow the I'm going to follow the Roman law, or he says, I'm going to follow the law of Moses. They're suggesting he do this. Jesus is like, you've given me two options, and you think I've got to take both of them, one of the, one of the two of them. He says, I don't have to take either one. There's a whole other way. You've set up all kinds of false realities in this argument. And Jesus sees that. He drives through it. He says, whoever's, you know, hasn't sinned can cast the first stone. And the reality is, is nobody casts the first stone. They drop their stones and walk away. Jesus sees the deception of the moment. Jesus also, because he's the light of the world, sees the woman. Sees her as really a woman, a daughter of the high king. He sees her in the fullness of who she is. And he sees her as somebody who doesn't have to live the way she's been living. And mind you, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of of indication as to, to why she's come to this place where she is. Was it her circumstances? Was it by chance? Was it by choice? He doesn't unpack all of that. He knows that for each and every one of us, there can be things like that that lead us to difficult places. But for the woman who stands in front of him, and for all of the people who stand around, Jesus really sees one reality that's, that's hard. And I think many of us see it too when we read the text. That there are times in life where we become deceived. And the people in the story are deceived a lot about a lot of different things. And Jesus, whose light and life brings truth into that 
picture. And he begins to untangle all of the deception. And he says, I don't have to go with either A or B. There's a different route. And dear woman, you don't have to go back to the place where you've been, but there's a whole nother road for you that you can walk on. Now, when we read that story, we can see that reality, can't we? I was thinking about how we read stories. And I was thinking about how oftentimes when I watch a television show or watch a movie, you can see how people find themselves in those similar kinds of deceptions and traps. Can't you? Recently, I, I rewatched one of my f favorite films of the last decade. It's an interesting thing to say, watching a film of the last decade, but it, it wasn't that long ago. We were in a different decade, right? But I watched The Greatest Showman, and The Greatest Showman is about the story of P.T. Barnum and his whole story. And in the midst of the story of P.T. Barnum, P.T. Barnum gets enamored, at least in the, in the movie, he gets enamored with this, this opera singer from England or from Europe, and he brings her over to America, and he takes her on a tour, and he's really enamored with her. And as somebody who's watching the film, you go, P.T. Barnum, you've got a wife, you've got a family, and suddenly you're getting very enamored with this other person. Where is this road going to take you? And as a watcher, you just want to say, time out. That train is taking you to a place you don't see it. And when you're in the third chair, watching somebody else's life story, you can see things, can't you? Whether it's on film or on television, whether it's a story of somebody else's life, a real life story unfolding in, in our own lives, we can see it. We go, oh, do they know what's out in front of them? Do they see what's out there? And then there are moments where we're on that same track, but we don't see, do we? And then we go through something and we're like, how did I miss that? I wish somebody would have said something to me because now I'm in a situation where I wonder, how did I ever get here? Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he knows, really, that all of us can be in the place of either the scribes or the Pharisees or the woman. Where there are moments where we've become blind. And yet he walks into the midst of our stories. If we'll let him, if we'll receive him. And he says to us, I'd like, because I'm the light of the world, I'd like to be the light of your life. And I'd like to lead you and guide you. And take you to a place where you experience the fullness of life now. Well, how can we do that? How can we receive the light of Christ? How can we walk into the fullness of Christ's life right now? I'd suggest to you there's about four different ways we can do that. One of those ways is to be people who read the book, who read the scripture, who read the stories of Jesus. If you'd like 
a reading plan. Schweitzer has a reading plan because you can subscribe to the daily text and there will be scripture that comes into your inbox, whether it's your, well, it'll come into your email inbox every day if you'd like it. But each and every one of us need to be availing ourselves, opening ourselves up to the pages of scripture, to the stories of God, to the times and places where God says, this is who I am. You can know me and wonder at me. Secondly, we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Because the Holy Spirit is the gift of God who's present to us, who will speak to us, and who will take those things that we read and will, at some point in the midst of our life, speak those things or remind us of those things actively present in our, in our minds, in our hearts. The Holy Spirit will do it if we ask the Holy Spirit to do it. Third thing we need to do is we need to be people who are open ourselves up to the community of faith, to people who will speak truth and who will speak light and life into us. I love the reality that this morning we could hear Derek's witness and his story in the, as a part of the 52 stories. Because Derek, uh, for some of us who are close to Derek, we know that there was this moment where there was a, a truth-telling moment in Derek's life. And Derek quite easily could have walked away, but there was light and life that was being shown to him in a moment in his life. And Derek stuck it out. And he walked in light. And he's, he's doing some stuff today that is just really profound and marvelous. And the other thing we need to do to walk in God's light in his life is to celebrate to celebrate God's goodness to us, to celebrate where God has shown up in the past in our lives and he's shown us things that we could have never seen on our own, where he's drawn close to us. And when we're in those moments where we think we're not seeing things right, we may be deceived, we may be in a land where where there's darkness around us, we need to celebrate that God has drawn close to us that he's shown us his light in the past and his light is present to us now. Friends, I don't know where you're at in the story of your own life, but know this. Jesus, time and again, says, I'm the light of the world. And he means that for the fullness of the world and he means it for you. And so wherever we're at, His light brings us hope, and it brings us healing, and it brings us his presence right now. And he brings us a way to walk in. So kind Father, we give you thanks for the light that shines upon us today, for the light that shines in this place, for your light that will lead us through difficult times and lead us in joyous times. Help us walk in your life. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.